Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues. Pretty often uh, when I have these podcast episodes, I have as my guest or co-host, it's not quite clear what our relative uh, status is, my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. But today we've given her the day off and I'm chatting with Professor Jerry Beyer, who is from the Texas Tech University College of Law, the Governor Preston E. Smith Regents Professor of Law at that august institution. Jerry, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Robert. I thought today, Jerry, we'd talk about pets. Um, pet trusts are a topic that you speak around the country about, that you are well known as, a, as an expert and authority on pet trusts. We do pet trusts at Fleming and Curdy, not all that often, we, but we really deal with pets a lot. A lot of our clients have beloved pets that they're very attached to and want to, to take care of. How do people plan for their pets? It's very important to make provisions for your pet if you care what happens to the pet animal after you die. If you don't make any plans, the pet will then just pass under the residual or remainder clause of your will wherever that whatever people may receive it and they don't have any obligation to take care of your pet a pet is a just a uh, considered a piece of property no different than a book or a chair and they could take your your beloved pet to the pound which could you know virtually be a death sentence for your pet certainly not what you would have intended so what do you do if you're very anxious about the care of Fido or uh, category? What is the name for a, what is the classic name for a cat? Fluffy? Fluffy, oh. I, I <laughs> once had a cat, uh, my uncle's cat that we took care of called Category. We just called her Catastrophe, actually. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Um, Munin is my current cat's name. Odin, the dog. So maybe we could talk about Munin and Odin. Those are really the, do the, the pets we're talking about, right? Right. Most people have regular dogs and cats. And if you care about what happens to them, you can kind of hope if you write a will and just leave the animal and some money to someone, you can kind of uh, trust that they'll actually take care of the animal using the money you've left them, but that's no guarantee. And even if you do have someone that you really, really trust and know without any doubt would take care of the animal, something could happen to that person. They could die or become disabled and be unable to care for the animal, and then it would be in their estate and you would have lost all control to assure that the animal is taken care of. So if you do care, you should set up either a very simple or very detailed, whatever your intent may be, a pet trust where you leave the animal to a trustee who is in charge of the animal and a sum of money, and then you indicate who a caregiver is going to be, and then that person takes care of the animal, the trustee supervises to be sure the animal gets good care, and then pays for the animal's expenses, food, veterinarian bills, etc., and maybe even, you know, a, a reward for taking care of the animal. So we've been talking about Odin, my dog, and Munin, my cat, but I didn't reveal to you that I also own one half of, my wife owning the other half, of a desert tortoise. So uh, what are we going to do about that? Because that desert tortoise might outlive our children. It's very important to plan when you have a long-lived animal. Desert tortoise, great example. Parrots and other types of exotic birds 
another example because you need to plan to take care of that animal for many, many years after you die and even after the people you would select first would die. So a pet trust for a long-lived animal is really essential because you can then select a method for your trustee or successor trustees to select a new caregiver for the animal to be sure that animal has a long and healthy life. So what are the special things about a pet trust that you, why do you need a lawyer for this? You, you have a dog, you love your dog, you want to make sure that the dog will be taken care of, you have a friend who promises to take care of them. Why do we have to get all fancy with trusts? Because you are relying on that person to do it. And as I said earlier, even if you trust them and even if you're absolutely confident, something could happen to that person. And then uh, all your intent, all your desires will fall apart. So uh, there's a lot of discussion in the popular literature of pet trusts. I think probably I've read about more pet trusts than I have seen. But kind of the classic story that everybody talks about when you do pet trusts is Leona Helmsley and her dog, Trouble. Uh, Leona Helmsley left $6 million, I think is the number, to a trust for the benefit of Trouble. And uh, Trouble apparently was pretty well named. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember this, but she named her brother as the trustee of the trust and the custodian of Trouble left that $6 million trust that he could manage, and he said, uh-uh, trouble is too much trouble. <laughs> and then the judge changed the terms of her trust. Right. Every state now, uh, well, just to go back a little bit, 20 years ago, when I first did work with pet trusts, very few states had any laws on pet trusts. It was a very specialized area, and in fact, people would sort of make fun of me when I talked to them about it. But a lot of things have changed in the last 20 years. Every state in the country now has a statute authorizing you to create a trust for your pets, very simple ones even. And many of the states have a provision that if you leave some hugely excessive amount, that they can reduce the amount that is in the pet trust and that money then just goes to the people that it would go to after the pet had died. And I think in Leona Helmsley's case, the judge decided that a million dollars ought to be enough to take care of trouble and, and uh, remo- reduced the inheritance from six million to one million. And then, if I remember right, trouble only lived a year or two after Leona Helmsley died anyway. That's correct. The dog did not, I mean, it was a small little white dog of some sort and uh, did not have much of a life left. Uh, probably was a little bit elderly at, at the time of Leona Helmsley's death. Uh, you talk about what other states have done. Arizona, just for a little data point, has had a, a pet trust provision for at least 50 years, um, but it was called an honorary trust. So do you still hear of the term honorary trust? The term honorary trust was used a lot in the past when the pet trust would not be legally enforceable. Many states would allow you to do it, but if the trustee wasn't willing to carry it out, uh, no one could come to court and sue on behalf of the animal to enforce it. With the modern statutes that you now have here in Arizona and in other states, somebody else can come to court and say, the money isn't being used to care for the pet, 
and legally make sure that money is used properly. So honorary trusts were better than nothing, but they weren't as enforceable as a true pet trust now is. What we most often see among our clients is actually not setting up a trust for the benefit of the pet, but simply choosing a trusted person to receive the pet and then leaving a sum of money to the, uh, to the person intended to compensate them for taking care of the pet. Um, I would say that probably the most common sum of money that I am asked to leave to somebody to, who will take a pet is $10,000. Uh, but it might be five thousand or a thousand or or even more, um, and uh, and the the arrangement is I leave ten thousand dollars to my niece, provided that she takes care of Munin, my cat. Um, but then, what happens if I outlive Munin? What about my next cat? You need to plan for which animals you're taking care of. If you name the animal by name and either that animal dies or escapes and you get a new animal or you get an additional animal or maybe an offspring, if they're not specifically provided for, they won't, uh, they won't get the benefit of the money. I mean, in your case, if you left the animal in the $10,000 and you named the animal by name and then the animal passes away, you get a new cat and you don't change your will, that cat is not being going to be given now and that money is not going to take care of the animal. That's why this needs, uh, even if it's basic planning, it does need professional planning to be sure it's done correctly. You know, pet trusts are a pretty modern development. I passed the bar in 1976 and I don't think I ever heard of anybody actually setting up a pet trust or what was then, as you say, called an honorary trust though there was one famous Tucson case from before I became a lawyer where the, uh, the lawyer had been named as trustee of a trust for the benefit of a dog and the lawyer hired his son to take care of the dog and had to get a brand new air-conditioned Cadillac to drive the dog around town and there were all sorts of issues about whether the, uh, whether the trust was being misused. Is there some sort of protection to keep to keep uh, uh, people from misusing pet trusts? Of course there is. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm aware of the case that you are talking about where the attempt was to get that car to drive the car, the dog, because the dog liked to stick its head out and go for rides. Uh, even before the pet trust statutes, there were legal ways, if you were clever enough, to create a trust that helped a pet by actually naming a person as the beneficiary and conditioning their receipt of money on taking care of the pet, which required a little more complexity. Uh, but today, because of the ability of other people to come in now and make and uh, complain that the money is not being used properly, the possibility of abuses of pet trusts now and money left for a pet have gone dramatically down from in the past. I'm going to just suggest to our listeners that if they would like to see that in, uh, in literature, they could go read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil because there is a pet trust of sorts um, sort of parenthetically referred to in a very sweet and, uh, and, and quaint way. But the other thing from literature, I know, Jerry, you and I have talked about it, and I don't think you've had a chance to read it or see it yet, is uh, when I was a kid, my grandmother had a book on her shelf called Rhubarb, which was about a cat that inherited a baseball team. I, and of course, it was in trust. It was a trust for the cat. 
that inherited a baseball team, but the author wasn't into the fine niceties of, of legality. Uh, and it was actually made into a movie with Ray Milan um, in, in the 1940s. Well, I haven't read or seen it, but I know I certainly will now. This sounds just so much fun. And it's the sort of thing you get to talk to the law students about as well. Oh, yeah. They'll, they love that sort of thing. That's for sure. So it's not a brand new idea, but, uh, but as you say, it's, it's much more developed today than it was even 20 or 30 years ago anywhere in the country. The, the, the key thing I'd want all your listeners to be, realize is that if they care, they need to make some sort of plan to make sure that the animal is taken care of the way they like. One of the things that we deal with a lot is not just planning for your death, but what happens if you go into a nursing home? Who's going to take care of Munin and Odin? What, what happens if you become any, unable to care for them at home? And if you give somebody a power of attorney to handle your finances, would you want them to be able to use the money in your estate while you're still alive to make sure that the pet is taken care of? Robert, that is an excellent point, and it's something that you need to take into account when you create the financial power of attorney, that if you do have pets and you, don't, and you do want your agent to find a, a caregiver and to provide the funds to take care of the animal, I recommend that that be expressly written in the special instructions part of the power of attorney, because if you don't do it, some other people might claim that that's not a proper use of the funds and may uh, go after the, the agent saying that that is a breach of fiduciary duty to use the funds for the animal when they should be preserved for the principal or most likely preserved for the principal's family members right. is the, what, what's really going on. So. I think it is really important if you uh, have an animal that you include that type of provision in your uh, financial power of attorney as well. And I will just put in a plug for Fleming and Curdy. We do routinely put that into powers of attorney because I agree with you. It's something that, that is just an opportunity for trouble, no pun intended, <laughs> down the road. Well, I've been talking with Professor Jerry Beyer from the University, I'm sorry, Texas Tech University. I have to say it the right way around. College of Law, and uh, thank you, Jerry, for coming by and chatting about this interesting topic. Uh, and everybody else, please join us again for the next podcast episode of Elder Law Issues, coming to you from the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. We hope that you will hear us then. <laughs>